Since independence, the Indian economy went through a lots of changes. Liberalization, for example, was a game changer for all of us. So, how did India Inc. perform throughout all these changes? What are the biggest achievements, the areas of concern, and challenges for India Inc.? Hi, and welcome to the BL Podcast. This is Nabodita Ganguly. Baskar B joins me to talk in depth about it. Hi, Baskar. Thank you so much for joining me. Ah, you're most welcome. It's a pleasure. By the way, happy Independence Day first. No, th- thank you so much. Same to you. Yeah. So today I wanted to talk to you about how India Inc. evolved as a whole since independence. On that note, how the formal economy developed in India since independence. It had its own share of struggle. It had its own share of drawbacks, challenges, success. So could you talk a bit about its evolution? Indian industry has had a very interesting uh, run over the last few decades. Uh, and just when India was getting its independence in the 1940s, India, actually not many people know, India had a fairly large industrial base for an economy that was colonized for close to 200 years. And in the 1940s, India was actually one of the 10th largest uh, industrialized nation in the world. It is something not many people know. And in 1944, a group of industrialists in India came up with something called the Bombay Plan on how to industrialize uh, India and how to, you know, solve a lot of the pressing uh, economic problems that India faced during uh, independence. And uh, it called for planning, it called for economic planning. The plan which they drew was very similar to the Nehruvian plan. Even for the industry, they wanted the government to have a big say in economic uh, affairs. And, uh, you know, they felt that the planned approach is the best way for India to move ahead to industrialize fast and to become a, a big industrialized economy and to, of course, eradicate poverty, which was a big, big issue uh, then as as it is now. The second five-year plan was the major uh, thrust in which big industry, big, big, uh, you know, capital-intensive industries, steel, chemicals, fertilizers, those are the kind of industries which were uh, set up in the public sector and a lot of these industries, uh, it... it put in place an industrial licensing system. Uh, There were a lot of regulations. Import tariffs were very high because we we went through what is called an import substitution model of growth where, you know, the the local industry was shielded from foreign competition so that it could develop on its own. And, you know, the the logic was once it uh, develops, then it can be opened up for foreign competition. But a lot of these things became entrenched and uh, even when this strategy, though it did put in place a fairly uh, sophisticated and highly capital intensive industrial base, many of these regulations and licensing systems started you know, having a very counterproductive uh, impact on the economy. For instance, for every little thing, the private sector was really shackled those days, you know, its hands were really tight, even if it wanted to you know, expand uh, its capacity. It wanted to get into a new sector. It had to go and uh, get a, a license from the government. It lots couldn't just of yeah, lots of bureaucracy. So the bureaucracy became very entrenched, and this started having uh, you know a lot of uh, negative impact on the efficiency. Was really the Indian industry was not competitive in the 60s and 70s. So by the late 70s, uh, there was this growing feeling that you know this this regime of controls and licensing had to, if not you know, totally uh, mm-hmm. scrapped, at least had to be reformed to uh, give a greater say. So by 1980s, uh, the government uh, 
at the center started feeling that uh, for uh, boosting growth the private industry the private sector had to be given uh, a, a greater say in the economy so the so the first signs of liberalizing started happening liberalization of the econ- economy started happening in the 1980s okay and of course uh, we we ended up having a major balance of payments crisis by the end of the decade in 1990 91 was very bad we had a huge balance of payment crisis and we didn't we had barely enough foreign exchange to pay for two weeks as imports so we had to really go to the imf for a bailout and that's when the 1991 reforms happened and a lot of these things were scrapped a lot of these uh, import tariffs were cut across uh, i mean across the board they were brought down and uh, in the industry like industry licensing was uh, scrapped and the mrtp act was scrapped and a lot of these uh, pro industry reforms took place but the point i would like to make here is um, even after three decades of um, reforms the manufacturing sector's share in gdp is still quite small it's about 15 16% mm. and subsequent governments have tried whether it was the upa government or whether it's the modi government now they have tried their best to push this share from 15 16 to 25% they brought in various schemes like the national manufacturing policy was brought in by the manmohan singh government and as soon as the modi government came to power in 2014 they brought, brought in this make in india policy and then the pli policy which came 3 uh, years back but still manufacturing share in india's gdp is stubbornly stuck at around 16 17% so that is the worry that is the major problem facing mm. uh, the indian manufacturing sector even after three decades of uh, reforms and why exactly is that happening i mean when we talk about governments coming up with schemes there are so many schemes both in the central and state government levels every government is trying to boost manufacturing manufacturing is always given a priority even r&d with regards to manufacturing is being accelerated so despite that why do you think is the gdp so low for the same and we still rely so much on the it's mainly the service sector right yeah see the, that's one of the conundrums of indian economy i mean from a, from an agrarian uh, economy we seem to completely leapfrogged into a service service yeah. oriented economy hmm. and we seem to have skipped this manufacturing part where if you look at a lot of like china and a lot of these east europe east uh, asian countries they in the 60s and 70s they went through a period of uh, manufacturing growth where a lot of these manufacturing was happening at more labor intensive more wage good more uh, you know uh, wage intensive uh, sectors like like say textiles and shoes and toys and you know low level manufacturing which were which didn't require huge capital investments or very sophisticated uh, machinery and stuff like that but our because of our rather uh, very very planned public sector oriented economy where we went for heavy industry our industry industrial path was sort of skewed towards the more capital intensive mm. uh, sectors like steel and fertilizers and chemicals and all that because at the feeling at that time was once you put in place this uh, capital uh, goods uh, uh, sector then the private sector will you know reap the benefits of that but that didn't quite work out that way for for a variety of reasons now why is manufacturing still stuck at 15 16% there are several perspectives for it one is i mean there's a very fascinating book written by this economist uh, who used to be with uh, the imf and world bank for many years uh, called ashoka modi he's based now in princeton university 
he wrote a book recently called india's broken and uh, it's 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 a very it's a very depressing book to read uh but he says the the fundamental uh, reason why india skipped this manufacturing phase and went straight into the services thing and which had a huge impact on manufacturing still being stuck at 15-16% of the gdp is because in the 40s 50s and 60s we did not invest enough in primary education and and of course even healthcare he his argument is you you don't have a literate enough workforce to reap the benefits of the manufacturing sector so he says if you contrast that with south korea or china or these are countries or japan for that matter these are countries that invested hugely on in expanding primary education and primary healthcare so you need a healthy literate society workforce that can reap the opportunities thrown up by by industrialization now there is another argument also in fact last year vinay and i were having a interaction with noshad forms so i i asked him the same question as to why uh, manufacturing is stuck at 15 16% he says that's because indian industry doesn't invest enough in r&d so that was his uh, argument he was saying that they they need to invest more in r&d and uh, you know come out with more innovative uh, goods and services so there is no one answer to this question why even after three decades of liberalization economic reforms why is industry's share still stuck at 15 16% despite all these government policies it's a hard question to answer there are several reasons for that and now of course the government is uh, pinning its hopes on the pli and pli also has its critics you know raghuram rajan is a Hmm. is a critic of uh, pli but uh, pli is a little different from the earlier uh, industrial policies because it is benchmark on some very uh, severe very very strict metrics you know unless you achieve these uh, you know output targets or investment targets or even uh, employment targets we, we will not give you these subsidies so let's see it's it's still the early days so, we, we still need to see how this pli scheme pans out so is it that pli is very rigid for you to avail its benefit it's a very rigid process and you might not meet it so uh, it's no been anything. expanded to several sectors now i think hmm. 15 sectors i'm not sure but hmm. it it started out with some few sectors and they hmm. kept expanding sectors right these are still early days we still have to wait for more data to come in to more see how exactly this is uh, mobile telephones supposed to be a success story because uh, we are but it's all still a lot of assembly plants are only happening here so we have we have to wait we 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 don't know the answer to that yet we have to wait and a thorough review of the pli scheme has to be done to see how much it has succeeded or what are the failures of it here and you mentioned an interesting point about healthcare education r&d mm-hmm. all of it as a whole so Do you think the new education policy would make some difference or I don't know I don't know <laughs> really because as far as I can see the new education policy seems to be more skewed towards the uh, higher education uh, mm. side of it Yeah so that is not what <laughs> Yeah you, so you basically know, the yeah, base yeah yeah, yeah yeah the base has to yeah, base has yeah, to be yeah, stronger yeah, yeah. If we compare India's journey in industrialization with that of the East Asian economies which is seen as the you know uh, success stories like uh, korea china um, japan of course and uh, taiwan uh, we seem to have missed uh, this bus on developing 
low scale low level uh, you know job oriented labor intensive manufacturing and uh, they they got it to that at the right time and they started exporting to the world china of course became the literally, literally the factory of the example. world yeah literally yeah. the so talking about covid 19 mm-hmm. covid 19 was a huge blow for mm-hmm. the world as a whole and india inc was no exception towards it how did we perform how did we get out of it how are we doing now we aren't doing too badly in terms of uh, our economy was yeah i mean it was badly hit like like any other economy i mean the, the first quarter after covid our economy contracted by almost uh, 25% but uh, we seem to have done all right after that the problem was our economy wasn't doing exactly great even before covid hit in the sense that private investments were still very anemic private consumption was still pretty anemic and at this stage was when the covid hit and it it sort of exacerbated the already existing problems in the economy but on the whole we seem to have come out of it in the last couple of years we have to see how things pan out the general word on the street is the indian economy has been pretty resilient and mm. it has managed to somehow weather this uh, covid storm yeah okay i think i was having this discussion with you earlier as well there is no monopoly now right mm-hmm. there are more than one players we don't know what will happen to the telecom sector but one question that i have is despite it not being a monopoly there are several players which do not get equal opportunity ha nah, okay free market free competition it's is perfect competition these are things that you are taught in in the classroom yeah <laughs> in the microeconomic <laughs> courses yes but it's a, it's a real it's it's a, it's a bit of a myth in the real world see what mm. happens is there are some sectors which are so uh, heavily capital intensive where you need huge investments you can't have too many players there because the mm. the the level of investment is just too high the the money required to to be in those uh, sectors are and you need huge working capital also so you you can't have too many players there the, the money is just too big not everybody has that kind of uh, resources to be there um semiconductor conductors is a classic example airline industry is a classic example of that you know you have the moment uh, the sector was opened up 30 years ago 25 years ago plenty of players in india decided to get into the field you know they they thought there was a untapped potential there there's still growth for but you know you aircraft acquisition routes and it's it's a very difficult industry to be in so a lot of them collapsed a lot of them you know had to exit the most high profile one being kingfisher so it's a difficult industry to be so a lot of these very tech very high technology intensive very high capital intensive industries you cannot have too many players there that is how it is free competition uh, perfect competition free market yeah i mean those they all sound very nice but in in the real world things pan out very differently to real to be true so no to yeah, ideal yeah, to be true. ideal to be true but yeah you have to wonder whether is it even worthwhile to have too many players in this segment i mean uh, and then you know half of them you know collapsing uh, isn't that a waste of resources i mean i don't know so it's mm. probably there is a certain logic in fewer players in some sectors okay now lastly do you think there are very any severe challenges that india inc is facing or what's the what does the future look like 
food sector. See, the thing is, right now, uh, the world today is, is a very different place than what it was. Forget about 1947. It's a very different place than even 1991 when reforms were uh, enacted. When reforms were it's different from 2020 also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that sense. So, yeah. uh, see, what has uh, to me the the major uh, point of uh, you know departure was the 2008 uh, global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Till that time, there was a certain consensus. What is usually called the Washington consensus, you know, free markets, you know, low tariffs, global trade, open markets, open economies. Will will lead to greater welfare, greater trade, greater global trade and services yeah. as well as goods. Will lead to you know more trade, more welfare world over. That that consensus started collapsing after two thousand eight, especially in the West. India and China sort of hung on to that uh, because they they benefited greatly from these uh, you know liberalization, open economy models. But covid sort of completely you know things went completely haywire after that so you are saying so the now west we was... we live in a world that is much more closed you know it is not as open as it was uh, both in terms of uh, movement of goods or movement of services movement of capital it's it's a very it's a very uh, it's it's a world in a flux you know a lot of the the beliefs of the past have have sort of been blown away now we don't have a, an alternative ideology in place it's all very inchoate it's all very messy right now so each government is trying to do its own it's it's a sort of you know so you have tariff walls going up you have these trade blocks being formed between countries i mean the wto is in a shambles the something that a world institution which was started with such fine faith mm. 30 years ago i mean even the west is like you know even the us doesn't seem to bother about wto anymore so you know it's it's a very messy world we are living in so all those earlier beliefs have been blown away and it's it is scary but yeah something has to come out of this yeah some so you are saying that the west was preparing for deglobalization not preparing for it 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 just happened you know it, they didn't prepare for it Since they just lost yeah. faith in it they just lost faith yeah since yeah, 2008 yeah, yeah yeah from 8 onwards it started slowly going down and then of course trump came and he yeah. is completely shot everything down so it's yeah. like uh, But I think for us, COVID was the game changer. COVID right? was the big thing. Yeah, yeah. COVID like was the big thing because yeah, it's it's also you know because the the world started realizing that it, if it relied too much on China, supply chains are going to be mm. really affected. So China plus one policy started mm. gaining momentum. India thought it had a you know chance to attract uh, investments moving out of China, and it is doing something on that mm. front too. Of course, most of the investments from China uh, that left China went to countries like Vietnam, because they they had a better uh, policy regime in place. I don't know what, or maybe infrastructure, whatever. But India still feels that it has a chance there. It has an opportunity there where it can you know attract uh, companies trying to move out of China. It's trying to offer a sort of a base here in India to manufacture. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that makes complete mm-hmm. sense, mm-hmm. but. the countries which are trying to move out of china uh, for example um, apple for example mm-hmm. apple is uh, foxconn mm-hmm. for example mm-hmm. it's trying to manufacture more in india but as we are moving far away from globalization every day you said that we don't have an alternative mm-hmm. right we are all trying to do new things yeah yeah so, so these the, these new things are like you know these trade blocks you know you are forming these trade blocks with like minded countries mm. whether it is geopolitics or in you know, the quad in geopolitics yeah. uh, the rcep in uh, of course india has uh, opted out of rcep mm. because it felt that it's not getting uh, 
any worthwhile concessions and of course it's trying to negotiate a trade deal separately with countries like uh, it has successfully negotiated with uae and but with uk and eu it is still a work in progress so so do you think bilateral pacts will be the go to will 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 for for the time being yes that that is what that is the countries are pinning their hopes on that because multilateral trade uh, bodies multilateral trade is is in a state of uh, shambles and it's, it's it's in a complete shambles so nobody even talks about the wto these days so it's no. it's like a, almost like a toothless body you know yeah. so countries feel that it, they are better off negotiating with each other and forming uh, uh, free trade pacts with each other to sort that of that makes yeah. sense mm. but then won't that won't a country with superior power be in an advantage to decide the terms of the pacts that For is example, always the case no that yeah. that was the case with the wto also Hmm. Of course, you had a dispute resolution mechanism there. Yes, uh, I mean, where you where the yeah, yeah 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 where the developing countries had a say, but it didn't quite uh, work out that way. You know, it's, it's and in any case, the WTO is like you know even the West doesn't want it anymore. So now, where, what do you do? What, what where where do emerging economies go? They don't have an alternative, so they are sort of forced to negotiate these trade pacts with. Uh, individual countries and you know try to get the best in terms of uh, tariff cuts and uh, market access for example if i as a country owe you a debt so of course i have to listen to you right because i have a certain amount of money and you are uh, investing so much in my country and that's happening with like china uh, china has so many uh, countries under it it's investing so much on so many countries so it is easier for china to do business with those countries Yeah, but those countries are also now slowly realizing that their reliance on China is beginning to hit them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the that Belt Road Initiative is they are they are being saddled with so much Chinese debt. They are really in trouble there. We don't know what's going to happen. China was trying to play the role of a superpower, so it went about investing massively in uh, infrastructure in all these countries, and it was also. giving out huge loans to these countries you know many of these countries are not able to repack repay those uh, loans to china no what mm. happens now what happens now china is not going to write off those debts so what in sri lanka you had these huge port and airport projects that came up and this it's just a white elephant there you just created this huge infrastructure which is not kicking in any revenue for uh, the government so no and and you are saddled with debts so it's 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 very it's it's a very difficult position that many of these countries have gotten mm. into yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. so basically it's a wait and watch scenario as of now yeah yeah i mean we don't know we just we, we can't say one thing or the other it's 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 very mm. it's very messy and it's very yeah. very complicated right now But see the earlier uh, earlier belief system has collapsed you know free markets globalization free trade uh low tariffs all these things will automatically lead to mm. you know more job growth more welfare mm. that was there for some time now, now that that world has shattered so what comes out we have to wait and see we, we are in a very tricky kind of a, the, the old world has collapsed but we don't know what the new world is going to look like so it's that's where we are right now Okay. I'm, I'm I'm sorry to sound so prophetic but <laughs> No, it makes sense. We <laughs> yeah, need to yeah, know how yeah, the new yeah, world looks like yeah, and yeah, yeah. we don't yeah. know yet. Yeah. We are just, just yeah, we, we just are all just wait. finding yeah, yeah, searching yeah, for the yeah, answer. Right, right, yeah. Since you uh there has been lots of changes as we spoke about. Mm-hmm. What has been the biggest economic change for you as per you since your birth? The mobile phone. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, I remember when I was in school and I was in college, uh, we had the BSNL was the only, uh, MTNL was the only uh, mm. telecom player in the country and to get a landline you had to wait for years. Yeah, there are some very visible changes. Uh, True. Yeah, yeah, from what, uh, from my childhood to today. Yeah. Yeah. No like for I think I, uh, for me, my father bought this Nokia phone. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was so heavy. Mm-hmm. We still have that mm-hmm. as a token, but yeah. And now we all have this big smartphones. Smartphones and yeah. And that was yeah. such a big thing. I was like, oh my God, we just bought a no, mobile phone. No, I mean, phone. For, uh, when mobile telephony came into India, I was in my mid twenties. So okay. Uh, when I was young, there was no mobile phones. So yeah. We only had a landline, and even that was very difficult to yeah. acquire. You had to wait. You had to apply for it, and just kept keep waiting for yeah. years for them to come and give you a connection. And, and now three-year-old kids are yeah, using I mean, Instagram. Yeah, you just go walk into a store. You just yeah. buy a mobile phone, and you you shove the SIM card, and you are, yes, yeah. you have a connection. You just yeah. do so many things on the mobile phone. You know, everything is like work is done. So much work gets done. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a big change. Yeah. So, all right, Baskar. Thanks a lot for joining me, and I think we should talk way more about this new world order and still go on finding our answer. Until then, thanks a lot. Yeah, you're most welcome.